Good morning, Berin. Good morning. Not so loud. We have Luke here today. <laughs> Scott, you were thinking I was going to point you out. No, I will not point Scott and Cindy out and their family. Luke, your first day at church in your whole life. Luke, people have told me that my voice puts people to sleep. <laughs> so you should be good during this service. And Ron, your visitor is with us today, too. Got the, Got the grandkids. Wow, welcome, everybody. I don't want to leave anybody out. Thank you for being here. <laughs> okay. Uh, not today, unless Brother Jim back there uh, has a plan for us. So uh, we're working on it. We're working on it. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, you know, I have always felt bad for small books of the Bible. And we're on a series where we're studying small books. Because small books in the Bible often get overlooked. It's almost like, of course, for young people, this is a hymn book. You might not know what that is. But I also, growing up, I felt sorry for the third verse of hymns. Because we would often sing the first and second and skip to the fourth verse. And I would think, boy, the author spent a lot of time coming up with that third verse, and we skip over it. And it's a lot like that in the Bible. We'd like to study the big books, but there's many small books. In fact, the book we're studying today is only one chapter long, and they're often overlooked, but they're there for a reason. It's like in the Old Testament, you have major prophets and minor prophets. I've often thought, I would never like to be a, a minor prophet. Can you imagine like uh, Malachi, at a party or something. Who is your name? I'm Malachi. Never heard of you. I've heard of Isaiah. I've heard of Jeremiah. I'm just a minor prophet. No, they would never say that because it's, it has nothing to do with importance. It's the size. And it's the same thing with the book of Philemon that we're studying today. There's a reason Philemon is in the Bible. Because we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, not some, all scripture is God-breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So there's a reason when the holy men of God, when the canonization of scripture was put together, that Philemon was included. And this morning, we'll be taking a look at this short but powerful book. It has many lessons for all of us. Let me ask you a question at the start, though. Have you ever been deeply hurt by someone before? Deeply hurt. Possibly a broken relationship. Possibly someone betrayed you at one time or falsely accused you, maybe someone shared information about you in a form of gossip that wasn't true. Philemon is a book that addresses that. How do you react 
when someone hurts you? As a Christian, how do you react? Now, a little background before we get into this very small book of only one chapter. A little background on this book. The book was written in 60 AD. I have a little map up here that you can take a look on the board. That you see the city of Colossae that Paul visited during his missionary trips, and you see Rome. At this point in time, Paul is in prison in Rome. This is his first imprisonment. And he is going to be writing to a very wealthy man in Colossae by the name of Philemon. Now, Philemon, unfortunately, was a slave owner. And he held a small church inside his house. We're going to be talking about slavery a little bit more in, in just a second. But he held a house church in Colossae. As far as we know, there was two churches in the city of Colossae. I believe it was the, the First Baptist Church of Colossae and Colossae Bible Church. <laughs> Not really. I just made that up. Okay, so, but there, there were sm two small churches there, and the sad thing about it, it was estimated that in the Roman Empire that there was about 60 million people that were slaves. In fact, 20 to 30% of their population were slaves. And there were both unskilled and skilled slaves. And these people, they were handled like merchandise. You could buy, you could sell them. In fact, a common slave would go for 500 denarii. A denarius would be one day's wage for the common worker. So a common slave could be bought for 500 denarii. And the question is, how did people become a slave? Well, sometimes they owed a great debt. And to pay off the debt, they entered slavery. Sometimes they were born into slavery. But there were unskilled and there were very skilled slaves. Architects, doctors could be a slave. In fact, there was a very big part of their economy when you talk about the number of people that were involved. Now, the good news was that a master could free a slave or a slave could actually buy back their freedom. But Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Now, Onesimus stole some money and fled. And he fled, looking at that map, he wanted to go to a very crowded city. Because if you were a slave and that you fled, a warrant was put for your arrest. You were on the top 10 wanted list, so to speak. And if you were found, if you were captured, the master had the right to execute you. But as a slave, you were like merchandise. You had no legal rights. But there's a big dilemma in this story. I talked about people hurting you. Here you have Philemon. He's a Christian. He's a slave owner. His slave 
has run away. What should he do? What should he do as a Christian? How should he react in this whole situation? I really love the providence of God, just seeing how God is in, in control and directs our steps. As part of God's providence, Onesimus, the slave, goes all the way to Rome because it's so crowded there. There's so many people. And out of God's providence, guess who he runs into? Paul. Now, Paul was a prisoner, but prisons were different back then, in, especially in-house prisons. You were allowed visitors. Visitors would come in and out. And God arranged his steps where Onesimus ran into Paul, and Paul led him to the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God. So now Paul, and the whole reason we have this book is Onesimus is now a Christian. He is a brother in the Lord. Paul, earlier, in the earlier days, had actually led Philemon to the Lord. So in a way, Philemon, his spiritual father was Paul. Onesimus, his spiritual father was Paul. They were now brothers in the Lord with the same heavenly father and the same spiritual father. So the question is, Paul wants to send Onesimus back to Philemon. How should Philemon act? Now, Paul is going to do a great job in this book. He's really going to put a guilt trip on Philemon. Are you, do you know people that put guilt trips? Have you ever been given a guilt trip to do something? Amen. Or are you good at putting guilt trips on other people? I didn't hear any amens on that. I heard a lot of amens at the first part, not the second part. But Paul is going to do a great guilt trip here <laughs> to Philemon in, this, in his appeal to accept Onesimus back. So with that in mind, hopefully by now you're in the book of Philemon. We have the verses above me on the screen as well as in your Bible. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had a ministry a team, and of course, one of his assistants was Timothy. So most likely, Timothy maybe took the dictation or assisted him and Paul would often mention his team when he wrote the letters. Ophelia right here is most likely Philemon's wife. And the other man that was mentioned, Archippus, is either their son or an elder in the house church that met in their home. 
And as I mentioned, we, there was house churches back then, and this is one of two churches we know from the book of Colossians that there was another church. By the way, this book by Lehman is closely associated to Colossians. Paul wrote the book of Colossians, and most likely when he sent the book of Colossians, also sent this book to Philemon, and they were drop, dropped off about the same time. So let's take a look at verse 4. In all, first of all, at verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who, I'm sorry, I'm reading the book of Philippians. I said, I'm reading that, again. that sounds good, but that's not where I'm going, okay. Let, let's, let's go back to Philemon, um, which is, sounds very familiar. Starting with verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in, the, in Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith will be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So now as my blood pressure is coming down because I was in the wrong passage, I can get my thoughts together. It's Paul described Philemon as a great man of love and faith. And just the thought of Philemon, his reputation was so strong in the community that just thinking about Philemon caused Paul to give thanks to God. You wonder sometimes when other people think about us, what do they think about? But Philemon had this great, great reputation. You wonder here, does this sound like that Paul's trying to butter up Philemon a little bit? It might be. He might be sincere. I, I'll give Paul the benefit of the doubt that he's very sincere. But he also has a big request coming up. So he's starting off, before he even makes the request, he's coming out with this, these great remarks about the faith and the love of Philemon. Take a look at verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I pr prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both for you and for me. Whenever you see the word therefore, what are you to ask? What's there for? What's there for? 
So Paul is saying to Philemon, you have a great reputation. You help so many people. You have great love. Therefore, because you have that great love, I have a request for you. I want you to accept Onesimus back. Now, he could have used his apostolic authority and demand, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. You're going to do what I say. You take Onesimus back. No, he didn't say that. I'm going to appeal to you. I want you to decide. Now, don't forget, now, don't forget, I'm an old apostle. I'm in prison right now, suffering for the Lord. Don't forget, I led you to the Lord. But I have this request for you. Guilt trip, right? He's putting it on. But again, he's reminding, he's also reminding Philemon, I, I'm your spiritual dad. I'm a Christian brother. And Onesimus now is your spiritual brother as, as well. You know, the famous verse that we've said many times in here, Galatians 3.28, there is not, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that his salvation canceled the debt that he owed or the money that he took. It didn't cancel that he was still a slave. But it did mean that he had a new standing before God and before other men. Now, Paul uses a wordplay in verse 11. The name Onesimus means useful or profitable. So Paul tells Philemon, formerly he was useless to you. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. So Onesimus has changed. Let's take a look at verse 12 through 14. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Here he goes again. He says, I, I could demand it from you. I could use my authority. But Philemon, I'm, conf I'm confident that you're going to make the right choice. I'm requesting something here. And I have confidence that you'll do the right thing. Verse 15 and 16. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. He reminds Philemon of the providence of God. When he ran away from you, I know you're disappointed, especially he took the money, but in the providence of God, 
God led him to Rome, and he heard the gospel, and now he is saved. So remember that. And when I send him back to me, he's no longer a slave but a brother. And accept him back. So he's trying to handle this very carefully because this was a very difficult situation. If word got around to other slaves, they could possibly fake conversions and expect to be set free. Imagine Philemon, he was a slave owner. Other slave owners in the area were watching him. Hmm, I wonder how Philemon is going to react to this. So this was a very delicate situation. At the same time, Philemon was a Christian, a Christian slave owner. How am, I how am I going to react? I have a church that meets in my house. What type of testimony is this going to be for me if I don't accept him back? Let me talk briefly. Again, unfortunately, slavery was a huge thing back in the Roman Empire. And the early church did not have the political power to change the system. What's very interesting to me is Paul and other writers did not condemn or condone slavery. And it's true that the gospel begins to change social changes by changing individual people's hearts. And as individual people's hearts are changed, then changes are reflected in the society. I didn't know this, that back in the Civil War days, that both sides used scripture to support their position, which is very interesting. In fact, those that were for slavery said, hey, Jesus or Paul never spoke directly against slavery, so it must be okay. That was their argument. Now, one of the commentators in the book of Colossians is a man na named Alexander McLaren, and I have the quote. It's a little bit wordy, but it's a small quote. And here's what he has to say. The message of Christianity is primarily to individuals and only secondary to society. It acts first on the spiritual and moral sentiment and only afterwards and consequently on deeds and institutions. It hates violence and trusts wholly to enlightened conscience. So it meddles directly with no political or social arrangements, but lays down principles which will profoundly affect those institutions. Scriptures speak to the individual soul, which should be reflected in our institutions as well. In summary, what he's saying is, the gospel comes to your heart first, to the individual heart. And as your heart is changed, then the institutions that are involved with people are changed. Warren Wiersbe, who I have a lot of respect for as a godly teacher, he has this opinion. He says this, 
had the early church begin an open crusade against slavery, they would have been crushed by the opposition, and the message of the cross would have been confused with a social and political program. And one of the comparisons, he says, is with the United States. Think of the United States with all the spiritual influence we have. In the 18th and the 19th century, how long did it take to work against slavery? A long time in a very spiritual country. And think even with the civil rights movements. With all the spiritual influence in our country, it took a long time. Now go back to the Roman Empire in the first century. Do you think the early church could have had victory over slavery? It would have been very hard. I'm, not, I'm ne never going to say never. With God, all things are possible. But the point is, the early church, their main focus was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their main focus was getting out the gospel for people to come to salvation, for their hearts to be changed. And then they would work against slavery. Going back to Philemon in verse 17. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. What's implied in this verse? <laughs> Again, this is Paul writing to Philemon. If you consider me a partner, welcome him. So if you don't accept him, I guess you're not my partner. Guilt trip. 18. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, I am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. <laughs> Point taken. Whatever he has taken, I'm going to pay it back. Don't forget you owe me your spiritual salvation. You know, oh, no, God is, you know, the God's responsible for that. But hey, I led you to the Lord. Don't forget about that. Yeah. Spiritual manipulation. You know, so, you know, Paul is, is really coming on uh, thick here. And uh, he doesn't want to ignore the slave's crimes. He doesn't want to ignore Onesimus' uh, crime or the debt that he owed. You know, it takes more than love to solve a problem. It takes, and this is a, a beautiful picture of salvation in this passage. Martin Luther says that we are all anesthetists. I tried to say that last night. I was having a hard time. Anesthetists. All of us are like Onesimus. And, you know, God doesn't just save us by his love. There is a price that had to be paid. And God saves us by his grace, and grace is love that pays the price. God, in his holiness, could not overlook our sin. He could not overlook our sin. There's a price to be paid. So Jesus Christ 
paid that debt for us when he died on the cross for our sins. This is the, the doctrine of imputation. And to impute means to put on their account. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took our sin on him and he paid for our sin. And then he put his righteousness on to us. So when we approach God, we come to God clothed in his righteousness. Imputation, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We cannot approach God on our own merit. We can't. But God receives us through Jesus Christ. So this is a beautiful picture. Paul saying, I'm going to send Onesimus, and I will pay, I will pay for his debt. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Take a look at verse 17. Again, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Jesus says to his father, he, he no longer owes you a debt. He's, he's no longer a slave to sin because I paid it fully on the cross because you and I were slaves, just like Onesimus. We were slaves to sin. And Jesus Christ died for us. And the only way we can approach the Father is through him. Paul continues to remind Philemon of his spiritual heritage. And you have to remember now, accept, accept Onesimus back. He says, I'm offering a solution here. I'm trying to make this simple on you. I'll pay the money. He's a saved brother. Accept him back. Take a look at verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Philemon, I know you're going to do the right thing. I'm praying for you. I, I, I know you're going to do right. In fact, you're going to do even more. It sort of reminds me of the verse in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. And he's saying the same thing to Philemon. Like Philemon, though, we have all been hurt by someone. We have been hurt by someone. So how do you react when you are hurt? I'm reminded of the parable of the unforgiven debtor in Matthew 18. Peter comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Back then, the rabbis thought that you should forgive someone three times. So 
Peter gets a little bit, you know, righteous thinking. And he says, uh, up to seven times? Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or forever, endless times. And he says this, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Forgiving others. When we reflect on how much God has forgiven us, when we reflect on the grace that has been, been given to us, I, I think even the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, when he was Saul, persecuting the church. And when God met him on the road to Damascus in a very powerful way, the grace and the mercy that God gave and expressed to Paul and the forgiveness. And this story right here, and Paul's going to Philemon and says, I know you have been hurt. I know you have been hurt. But consider the forgiveness of God, and we should forgive others. We look at verse 22. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Now, you talk about pressure. Paul is saying to Philemon, Hey, I hope you've been praying to get me out of jail. And when I come out of jail, I'm going to pay a visit to your house. So if Philemon is going to say no to this request, there's going to be one day where there might be a knock on the door, and it's the Apostle Paul. And he's going to have to look him eyeball to eyeball and say, no, I said no to your request. No one wants to feel ashamed. But 
Philemon, you have been forgiven so much by God. You need to reach out and forgive other people. Verse 23. Epaphis, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you this greeting. He was actually the pastor of the church, and he had taken a trip to Rome to minister to Paul, and he was actually still in Rome at this letter. It was because of him that the book of Colossians was written to the city of Colossae. So uh, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sent you greetings. Either he became a prisoner himself or he was a volunteer prisoner helping Paul out. And so do Mark. We should be familiar with John Mark. John Mark, he actually was with Paul on his first missionary journey. And he deserted Paul. And Paul came back and extended mercy and eventually forgave, Paul, uh, forgave Mark. And now Mark was a co-laborer with, with Paul. And um, Artarchus and Demas and Luke and, and all these names, these, these are guys that went on trips and assisted. Um, you should know Luke the Gentile who wrote both the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. All my fellow workers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your, uh, with your spirit. His benediction is a very common benediction that Paul used at the end of his letters, emphasizing the grace of God, the grace of God and the forgiveness you know, like you, I think this was a very sad week in our country. And you sense just a lot of hatred, uh, division, a lot of barriers. Back then, there were barriers in that first century. There were barriers. There was slavery. There was masters. Many barriers but what breaks down barriers? What breaks down barriers? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is what breaks down barriers. It's what breaks down the barriers between a slave named Onesimus and a master named Philemon. I quoted a verse by Galatians earlier. There, there's another verse in Colossians 3.11 that says, here, to, this was, again, Paul's letter to the city of, of Colossae, the church of Colossae. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, Democrat or Republican. I added that. Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Christians should be in the business of building bridges, not walls. And the only thing that's going to solve the turmoil that we see is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. He's the answer to the problems. 
Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we're told that we, we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Should we hide our light under a bushel? No. There you go. God help us. God help us as Christians as we shine our light in a very dark world. Amen? Amen. Let's close. Dear Lord, we thank you this morning for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we, we think back throughout our life, and yes, we have been hurt by people. And Lord, probably we have hurt people. We know we have hurt you, and, but yet because of your great forgiveness and mercy, we are told to extend that same forgiveness and mercy to others. Lord, I pray, I pray for our country. The answer to our problems is you. And Lord, salvation through your son. And Lord, as you work in the hearts of your people, then we will see those changes reflected in areas that we work at. So Lord, forgive us. And I just pray that we would be quick to forgive others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.